Scripture memory verse tonight, Proverbs 24.10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Proverbs 24.10. Anybody else? Good job. Anybody else want to try? Had two weeks to, to do this. Proverbs 24.10 Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. That's Psalms, actually. Oh. <laughs> but, but he is the king of glory. Good thing you got the whole Bible memorized, Pastor Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else? <laughs> Anybody else want to try it while Ray finds it? Yeah, I got it. Proverbs twenty four ten. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Proverbs twenty four ten. Good job, Ray. Proverbs twenty four ten. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Proverbs twenty four ten. I've been red lighting that. That makes sense. Good job. Anybody else? Proverbs 24.10 If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Proverbs 24.10 Good job. Anybody else? Let's look at it. Now, Proverbs, I, I really do love the Proverbs. I would encourage you uh, to read a proverb a day, like the day is the 30th, and some months have 31 days. This month does not. But you, there's 31 Proverbs, and you can read them for that day, corresponding to that day. And then read them every month. Uh, you read through the book of Proverbs, and it's only the wisest man who ever lived that was not Christ, although his name, Solomon, does mean peace, and Christ brings us peace, and some of them he just copied, uh, I mean, chapter 25, I think, to about six of them here, he only copied, he didn't write, but great wisdom um, for life, and we do need wisdom, and we're going to talk about that tonight, but if you faint, if, obviously, when you faint, if you faint, faint is the word uh, rafa. Faint means to, now when we think about it, we, we think of someone fainting the day they pass out. They just completely fall on the floor and you go, well, they just fainted. Uh, and it really, it, it never does have that, um, meaning when you read it in the Hebrew. It really never has that. Although we do know that that would be part of uh, failing or being feeble or, or here's some of the words, to slacken, uh, to cease, uh, to consume, uh, be or wear feeble. Uh, but it also means things like this, to let alone, to let go, to let down, 
to be slothful, to relax, to weaken. See, it what it becomes is, is when there's adversity in your life, how do you deal with it? Where do you go with it? And see, everything about the Bible is really conditioning or dealing with the heart. And we talked about this, I think, Sunday when I, when I talked about the verse. God is not trying to kill us. God is trying to save us. And he already knows our hearts. And he wants us to understand our own hearts and to know where we're at. So as we read this verse, and it says if you faint or you, you cease doing what you're doing, or, or whatever it may be, in the case of passing out like we would think about it, something happens and you just go boom, and you're out. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not a pass or fail, or excuse me, or kicked out of heaven. It's a pass or fail. Now you have a litmus test to know where your heart is at. And that's something that's very important. This is not to kill you. When you read the Word of God, it is to save you. It is to wake you up. It's to shine light in your darkness. It's to spur you on. It's to encourage you. It's to get you to run a good race. And so what it's doing is shining light on your heart. It's shining light on the middle of you. And in 4.23 it says, Keep your heart or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow all the issues of life. This is what God is after, is the middle of us, the center of us, where he is married to us. And we should be following him. And in following him, we need to know what he says. The attack is on the word of God. And if you don't know what God is saying, then there's no way you can follow his directive. There's no way you can follow his doctrine. There's no way you can follow what he says that leads you out of this grave. And so if you can't be left led out of this grave, then what's going to happen? You're going to stay in a grave. You're going to reap what you sow. You're not following and turning to the right and the left and going places that you should be going. So we want to draw near. Now listen, you don't have to be, because they've got to be very careful. Because if a person was blind and they didn't have braille and they didn't know how to read, listen, God can save you. If a person was uh, uh, illiterate and couldn't read, then God can still save you because you can hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But it takes you drawing near. We can't make excuses and go, well, I don't know what that means. Or, well, I don't care what that means. Because actually we learn everything that we want to learn. Now, if somebody's got a disability that we call them, you know, maybe that there's something wrong with them. I know that God already makes provision for that. And I'm just giving that as a thing because some people will faint. Some people will fall. Some people will cease. Some people will go through an adverse state and it will completely collapse their whole life. And they won't do anything about it except say, woe is me. Listen, the point here is just where do I go when adversity comes? And we're going to go back to this because we are a spiritual house. We're living in a spiritual house. And either we're living in the devil's house or we're living in God's house. And if we're living in God's house, we're underneath new authority, new instruction. We're, we're born again into a living hope, into a home by Jesus Christ where we have a father that we're being delivered back to. And we need to understand that he has clear instruction about getting there. And if you faint during adversity, well, what's adversity, Greg? I'm going to go back to faint. Adversity is trouble. Uh, it actually is uh, uh, translated trouble 44 of the 73 times that it's used in Hebrew. There's trouble. There's affliction. There's anguish. 
There's tribulation, distress. And listen to this because this is very interesting. It comes from a word that means a female rival. And I just looked at it and went, huh, Lord, you're going to have to give me some understanding on this because I don't know what that means. Uh, but it's another bride, being another bride. Listen, if you want to be another bride, if you want to be another woman, you want to be a female rival against God or you want to be in God's house, you want to be a bride that's being conformed into the image that he wants for the wedding supper of the Lamb, or do you want to be a rival against God? These are things that needs to be understood because adversity, you can become your own worst enemy. In adversity, you can become your own worst enemy because you are a hearer and not a doer of the word. Because when we hear the word, we have to become doers. And then we can say, God, I have no capacity to do it. Uh, I, I, you know what, Lord? Here it is, it's just for real. I don't even desire to do it, Lord. But I know that this is what you want me to do. So will you change my desires? Listen, you don't want to be an enemy of God. You don't want to be an adversary of God. You don't want to be a rival against yourself. And so when trouble comes, when tightness comes, when adversity happens, do you faint? Listen, I want to do this in order, and I want the Spirit to teach us. I want the Spirit to teach us and even decide the content of the study. Okay? Not me. So we're going to go back. Do you faint? The first usage is about a house. Listen to me. It's about so much more. Go back to Exodus 4, 26. And this word faint, instead of slacken or consume or let alone, it's used to, so he let him go. Exodus 4, 26 is the first time it's used. If you're a Bible student, you might know that this is Exodus. Well, this is where they're going to be led out. And this is Moses coming back to set the children free. To tell Pharaoh, let my children go. And if you remember, I, re I read a book a long time ago called The Man God Tried to Kill. And it was about this text where God was going to kill Moses. Now, he just called Moses. He said, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Moses takes his shoes off, and he says, here I am, send Aaron. Remember, he was ready to go in the flesh, and he killed one Egyptian, and he could not defeat Pharaoh, chased him, and he went 40 years in the backside seminary, and God took himself, took Moses out of Moses, humbled him, and then he drew near to the burning bush, and he said, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he said, no, here I am, send Aaron. I'm a man of stammering lips, and I can't do this. And he, and he didn't want to do it anymore, see? And God said, go, and here comes Aaron, your brother, and I'll send him with you, and you will be like God, and he will be your prophet, right? Well, they're going and on the way, and what happens? This text here, God gets him and is going to kill him. God is going to kill him. I'm just paraphrasing. What did I say? It's 426. God's going to kill him. And 426 says, so he let him go. This is the word Rapha. You guys with me? This is the word for faint. He, did, he ceased. He stopped killing him. He was going to kill him. Why was he going to kill him? Because he had two boys that neither one of his boys were circumcised. Moses wasn't leading his own house. This is about a house. That's what this verse is about. 
This verse of fading in adversity, your strength is small. Listen, we're going to see in a minute. We're going to go back and read verses 1 through 9, and you'll see this is about building a spiritual house. It's about living in someone else's house. And it's about Moses going to tell somebody to set somebody free, and yet he's not even taking care of his own house. Wake up. This is where we're at. We're at a house. And what happens? His helpmate, his wife, Zipporah, grabs a rock and circumcises both of the boys because God's getting ready to kill her husband because he's not taking care of his own house. He's not teaching them to, to follow the covenant, to be circumcised. He was supposed to do that on the eighth day. And here these are grown kids following him to go back. He's been there 40 years. And he's never made his own kids Keep it in mind, because we're going to get to Samuel here in a minute, first usage, and Eli's working as a priest. And why does God raise up Eli? He raises up Eli, or excuse me, he ra why did he raise up Samuel? Because Eli and his boys are judged because Eli wouldn't take care of his house. And Eli let his boys do whatever they wanted and did not circumcise. See, in the New Testament, circumcision is cutting away of the flesh. It's being sanctified in God's house. And if we have wisdom, we'll understand that the Holy Spirit in being born again is conforming us into the image of God. And when we resist, we become our own worst enemy. When we go through adversity or what did we say it was? When we go through trouble or we become the female rival and we want to be a different kind of bride instead of the bride of Christ. And yet we say we're in the church. We are actually fighting against ourselves, and we're not learning to circumcise the flesh, to cut off the excess flesh, and to walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's all about a house. And here they are, and Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. That was verse 25. 26, it says, so he let him go. He fainted. That's what God did. He, 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 he let him go. So if you want first usage, it's God quit doing what he was going to do. So when we faint, we quit doing what we're supposed to do. That's what I want you to see. That when we faint during adversity, it's because we stop doing, and that's what the enemy loves to do. That's what God's testing us about. Is that you're moving forward, you're doing the right thing, you're in the word, prayer, and fellowship. All of a sudden, adversity, a storm, a trial, something comes, and you go, ah, I'm done. Then it shows you that your strength is small. You ready? You ready for that? Your strength is small. That doesn't mean you go, ah, wait, and later on down, I don't know what it is, 13 or 14, it says a fool or excuse me, a wise man falls seven times, but a fool falls by calamity. See, a fool stays down and faints, and he says, I'm small and I'm going to stay small. But a wise man keeps getting back up. He keeps growing. And that's what you want to do is keep growing and keep grow going because you're learning endurance. You're running a race. You want to learn to run to win. You want to get to the end, to the finish line. You don't want to faint. You don't want to cease doing what you know to be true because of something that's a lie or something that's a test. How many people went to school and you get to school and you had first week of school and you get to your first test and you flunked it because you weren't paying attention because you're still thinking about your summer break? And you go, I'm done with school. Now, see, you might have already had an attitude to be done with school, but you keep going. 
You don't quit because you faint once, because you cease once. Where are we at? So this is the faint we want to see, and it's about a house. The Spirit's leading us into a house. Listen to me. If you slacken or you cease uh, or you faint or you become feeble or you let go and let down and be still and become a slothful, even relax or weaken. See, we keep running because we're following truth. We keep going because we know that there's nowhere to go. He has the words of eternal life. We don't, we don't turn aside because of the first battle. You don't in, run in a race, you guys. No, you just look there out in front of me. See, you don't want to faint. Listen to me. Don't faint. No matter what's going on, Christ has promised he will never leave you nor forsake you. So you keep running. You keep running. I always tell everybody about me and my wife's marriage. Our first year was bad. The second year was worse. Now, most people, when I say that, they think that I'm going to say the first year was bad and then it started getting better. No, it got worse. But the third year, it started getting better. Listen to me. We didn't faint. We didn't stop. We both knew that God had called us out of darkness and that he was faithful. And we were sitting under the word of God and we were listening to the counselors who were saying, get in the word, prayer, and fellowship. <clears throat> you know how many times people say, oh, yeah, word, prayer, fellowship. And they don't want to hear the building stones of the church. The very foundations that God laid was to hear his word, to get into word, prayer, and fellowship. That's how he builds his church. Are you in the word, prayer, and fellowship? That's what I would ask anybody listening. Because if you faint in the day of adversity, day is, of course, is first used in uh, Genesis 1-5. In the morning, or excuse me, in the evening and the morning were the first day. Because the day started at night, at 6 at night. And it's just a normal day, a 24-hour period. Although it can be a season or uh, other things. It can just be speaking of this occasion. Adversity, when affliction goes on, um, the first usage is in Genesis 35.3. Let's look at adversity. What's adversity? Genesis 35.3. Let's see what God would lead us into in the text of 35.3. Now, if you'll remember, there is a female rival involved here. There's adversity going on here. This is Jacob in Laban's house, and he already got tricked, and he ended up with Leah when he was after Rachel. And so now you have two women in the same house fighting over a man's attention and having children and which one he's going to love. And Leah was first, but she was unloved. Right? And so you have this adversity going on in this house. And at the time, we're at the place where Laban has deceived him and deceived him and deceived him. And he's going to pack up and go back to Bethel, back to his house. And that's what 35.1 says. Then God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. So he's running. We're looking for verse 3, right? And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, his servants, his slaves, his two wives, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Listen to me. 
If you're going to come back to God, you're going to be born again, you need to get rid of the foreign gods. You need to purify yourselves. I can't do that. Then you have to let the Holy Spirit wash you and cleanse you. And then you need to change your garments because your righteousness is not going to do. Unless, it's, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. Ooh, that's a hard one, isn't it? And theirs was terrible. But Christ gives us his righteousness. Now here it is, verse 3. This is where the first usage is at of adversity. Let us arise and go up to house of God. Is that what Bethel means? And I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my adversity, my distress, my trouble, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. Listen to me. Listen. You want to be building a spiritual house, and you have to hear his voice. Remember, Beth, when he was on his way, he stopped there, and he put his head on a rock, and he seen the angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder. And, and, and he said, surely this is the house of God. You know, this place became a place of foreign gods later, where they put one of the golden calves with Jeroboam. Bethel is. That's where they put one, Bethel and Samaria. They had the two golden calves. We have to be aware that, that, that our flesh will worship foreign gods. And you have to actively be, in order to be in the house of God, you need to be putting them away and allowing God to wash you and cleanse you and purify you with the washing of the water through the word so that he's changing your garment. He's putting you into what? A wedding garment so that you can be married into the house of God. This is all about a house. Whose house are you living in? And if you, and then this is what tests our hearts. If you faint during, during adversity, your strength is small. Well, what are you talking about? Let's go back to our text, 2410. We're going to get there. We're going to work this out. You're going to see the clarity. I'm going to go through the scripture, and then we'll go back to verse 1, and we'll see what he led up to uh, as we look at it. So um, your strength, if you faint in the day of adversity... When there's adverse things, there's testings, there's trials, there's distress. When something happens, your strength is small. And strength here means your ability. Oh, does it? It means your substance. It means your force. Listen, your power. Listen to me. It, 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 it means your fruits. Listen to me. This is very good stuff. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by power nor might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Listen, you're being married back into a family. <clears throat> you become the bride. And you become your own worst enemy. You become the, other, you become the female enemy, the, 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 the one that's rivaling against you because of your own desires in the flesh. So the flesh has to die. The flesh has to die and be crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me so that he can wash me and cleanse me as I get into the word, prayer, and fellowship. And he can change my garment into a wedding garment. And that's what we're going to do in the Spirit. Not by, not by uh, power and not by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. Everything has to be done by the Spirit of God. But what happens when you believe in Jesus? The Spirit of God comes and seals you. 
He puts the seed of God in your heart so that fruit can grow if you allow it to be watered by the washing of the water through the word. And you literally become the bride of Christ, married back into the kingdom of God, and you're supposed to bear spiritual fruit. And this is literally, I was, I was talking with a couple people about this this week, uh, that literally <clears throat> when you grow in the grace and the knowledge of God, it's the word gnoskos. And that's a word of intimacy. That's a word of, of, of social intercourse. Because the word is used the first time in the New Testament when Joseph believed the angel and he did not put away Mary and he didn't know her, gnosgos her, until after the babe was born and they called his name Jesus. So it's, it's a euphemism for sexual intercourse in the physical but when we gnosko's God in intimacy in the spiritual, he puts his seed in us and we bear fruit. Just like you would if you were a physical, you're supposed to go and have a full quiver of arrows. You're supposed to replenish the earth and populate it. You're supposed to have children. Why am I having children? So that I can train them in the way that they're supposed to go so that they'll go out and tell others of the glory of God. So in the spiritual realm, why am I bearing fruit? So that I can be trained to walk in righteousness and go out and glorify God by being a witness in this grand courtroom that I am the wife of God. I've been married to God. I'm becoming like God because of my intimacy with God in his word, listening to him, following close behind him. Gnoskos. I'm wanting to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ because he's my husbandman. What kind of love is this that he would come and die to save me when I had no knowledge that I was lost? Think about that in life. You're bumbling around and you're chasing everything and you're chasing death and you're picking up your next death and your next death and your next death and the whole time you're putting nails in your coffin and in your grave and he comes and taps you and says, hey, I love you. And you're building a sepulcher a broken sepulcher that leaks all the water out onto the ground and you're never going to have life. And I love you. You had no idea. How do you change and turn and, and do anything if you think you're okay? But this God loves us so much that he doesn't just come and find his bride. Then he does everything for us. I mean, it's all prepared. And all we have to do is stop building our own house and begin to surrender to him and listen to him. And listen, the first usage of this word is in Genesis. Your strength is small. It's in Genesis 4, 12. Wait till you get there. It's the curse. Genesis 4, 12. Look, this is the curse that was given on the earth to Cain who slew his brother Abel because his countenance had fallen. He wasn't doing well. He wasn't trying to live in God's house under God's rules according to God's requirements. He wanted to do his own thing. And it says... When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. It's not going to yield its fruit to you. 
Listen, if you faint in the day of adversity, you're not going to have any fruit of righteousness. See, and that's what we really need to grow in. Your fruit is small. Your intimacy with God is, 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 is low. These tell us about this in our heart because this is the litmus test. What are we trying to find out? Where my heart is with God. And if my faith is not there when things get hard, then I have no fruit. I haven't been in the word prayer and fellowship. Because the I always tell this, this uh, and you probably get tired of it, there was a gang fight uh, years ago. And a guy swung a baseball bat at my buddy. And instead of, instead of pulling my buddy away from it, he was pushed into it. Because a home run hitter, he, when he extends, he hits the home run. So the further you are away from the bat, the more damage is going to happen. So instead of being pushed or pulled away from that bat that was coming, the guy was smart enough to push him into the bat. And when it hit him, there was almost no impact because he was so close. Listen to me. The further you are away from God in intimacy and in your love relationship as you hit being your husbandman, when the adversity comes, the more damage it will do to your walk. The closer you are, you know he's there. You know he loves you. And you know you can keep running. And you know that, that, that it's for your good. Because you already are growing in intimacy. And you know he's not doing anything that's bad for you. That you're not being visited with evil. That you are actually, it's his scalpel to shape you and mold you and purify you. And change your direction and place a garment upon you. For the wedding supper of the Lamb. So you want to be really close in intimacy. You want to be bearing fruit. You want to have a quiver full of children. You want to look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You don't want to look like the axe head flying off the handle every time something doesn't go your way and you have adversity and you faint and you're like, No, you want to be able to have that godliness to deal with issues so that people see a witness that's different. But when you don't, this is not to kick you out of heaven. It's to let you know where your heart's at because it's your, your strength is small. Your faith is small. And you say, that's no use. I've been doing this for how long and I'm still, faith is small. Listen to me. Where's that at? Let's look at it. Small means narrow. It means a tight place. It actually can mean a pebble. Remember Peter was a pebble? But he was a chip off the old block? When God gave him that name, he knew what he was going to be, even though he knew he was a little bitty pebble. Listen, he gave him the name. He gave him the place. He already knew what was going on. He knows what's going on with you. He knows what you're going to faint about. He knows what you need. He allows that adversity to come to test your heart, to try your heart, to move your heart so that you'll know where your heart's at. God don't need to learn anything. He already knows everything. What we need to do is grow in the grace and the knowledge of what he's done, what he's doing and what he wants to do, and follow him onward and upward to Christ Jesus, to our groom who's in heaven waiting for us seated in heavenly places yes we're there spiritually we're talking practically and spiritually together running a race to win so if your strength is small it's narrow right and it actually when you look at this word it's got another connotation that that narrow or that small strength that tight place can actually become the affliction 
it can become the enemy. It can become the what defeats you. Because you're not getting into the Word. You're not listening to God. You're not reading His testimonies of, of His faithfulness so that when faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God so that you can trust Him and go, wait a minute. I know that Abraham went through worse than that. David went through worse than that. Daniel was in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fire. And I can't handle that my, my McDonald's didn't come out the window fast enough. Listen, I'm serious. we got to think about this. Moses was 40 years in the wilderness, backside seminary, and we can't handle, what is going on up there? Where's my cheeseburger? Does that look like fruits of righteousness? Listen. So it can become your enemy because it becomes a bad witness. It becomes that where you have no, no fruit of righteousness, but yet you say, and I think it's a lot like the apostate church. It's a lot like the church today that all they do is say a prayer at an altar, and they don't get into word, prayer, and fellowship. They don't, they're not dead to self. They're still chasing the American dream. They're not doing anything to prepare their heart to receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul, and they think they're okay because they've been lied to when we must die to what we want to do in our desires in order to become like Christ. It's a series of repentances where we're changing our mind, we're changing our direction, we're changing our clothes, and we're becoming looking more like Him because of that great love. But when we just faint, we faint away, we just, we just cease doing, I'm just so mad at God now. Really? Because of what you did? wasn't because of what he did. Everything he did is perfect. But the devil gets us so confused and twisted around and all of our bad decisions become what God did. All of our bad decisions become what God did. Now, it's a crazy example, but I give you a crazy example. And I was watching this 1948 Western last night. Did I do that? My wife didn't like me watching Western, so I never watched them. And now that she's not there to babysit me, I can watch them. And I usually find it, oh, I already have seen that one before, years ago. But anyway, listen, this guy told these people what to do. And he said, go south, go south. I mean, this is the main, main, the main word is go south. They went west because it was shorter, it was quicker, it was easier. But it was right through Indian territory, and everybody's getting killed, and they're blaming him. My point is that God tells us full instructions of what we need to do, how we need to surrender, how we're no longer, this is not my life anymore. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus. And then I keep doing what I want to do, how I want to do it, and running where I want to go. And I'm saying, I'm doing this, and God loves me, so I'm okay. And then we go, God, why did you do that? And we blame God, but we're not listening. There's no way to have fruit, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But the hearing has the connotation of doing the work of God that you hear and allowing him to change you to follow that path. And then we blame God. Well, I was doing that, and it's all your fault, God. I went to church. You don't become a cheeseburger going to McDonald's. Listen, there's some work that goes into this, and, I, and I'm being a little bit facetious, but listen to, especially if you got me using cowboy shows, uh, but you can't blame, it's okay. 
you can't you if you don't listen to the instruction how come that bed's upside downward well you weren't following the pictures dude you weren't following the instructions listen to me you can't blame somebody else if you wire something wrong you electricians if you do anything and you are not listening to what God says will lead you by the light, by the truth, by the fire. He's a consuming fire and brings you out with instruction. How can you blame God? You didn't even know you were lost. And he came down and told you. And he proves your rebellious nature because you still aren't listening. I wouldn't have done it if I was Adam and Eve. Yes, you would have. You won't even listen now. And you have the Holy Spirit to help you. What do you mean you wouldn't? We, we, we just get so full of ourselves, and the thing we're called to do is hear instruction. You see, it's listening to instruction, and you will stray from the path of righteousness. If you cease listening, see, then the word faint means to cease. I ain't listening no more. I think I've got a better plan here. I think I've got me figured out. When we talk about Sunday, you're working on your funeral plans. You're putting more nails in your coffin. I'm not saying you're kicked out of heaven. But boy, you're going to live a life like you're dead. You might get to heaven smelling like smoke, but you're going to live a life like you're dead. When you can have life right now. I better get back to the text. But I just wanted you to see that it's amazing how even just with first usages, he paints a picture of how to live in his house. We want to bear fruit. Where's the first usage on this? Oh, small. Did we go there yet? 1420 of Genesis. I got carried away, didn't I? Genesis 1420. I got a bunch of these, and we're going to be here for like another 40 years. It's good, though. I was going through it, and I was going through it, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Listen. Listen, and this is a, this is an amazing text here because this is this is where it starts. With Abraham was told to leave Ur of Chaldean, and he took his nephew Lot with him. And when you see it, they begin to argue and fight. Lot's servants and Abraham's servants, and Abraham becomes a type of the spirit, and Lot becomes a type of the flesh. And Abraham knows that God has given him a promise of everything. And he tells Lot, we need to separate. You take whatever you want, and I'll go the other way. Listen, you need to let your flesh go the other way. Whatever they, and, and you need to live in the spirit. And so Lot chooses Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And he goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's down there living. And Sodom and Gomorrah, their leadership is really jacked up because it's all crazy down there. And if you know the rest of it, you know, if you're a Bible student. But, but they have five kings, and four kings come up. No. I think, it's, I think it's the other way around, but these kings come up because they quit paying tribute to the people that have owned them, and there's this big fight, and the other kings take all of Sodom and Gomorrah and everything and leave. And Abraham gets like his 312 trained servants, the Holy Spirit, and he says, let's go, guys, and they follow and go get Lot. They go all the way to Damascus, the oldest city on the planet. And that's where he picks up Eleazar, the Holy Spirit. It's a type of the Holy Spirit. It's his servant that comes alongside to help. And the next chapter actually is about him, where chapter 15, he's like, God, you promised me that, and, and I have no son except Eleazar. 
my head servant from Damascus. So you find out where he comes from in chapter 15. And that's when God ratifies the covenant with Abraham. But my point altogether here is, as we look at 1420, is that Abraham defeats those kings with his 302. Because it doesn't matter how many people are with you if you have God with you. He's serving God. He's protecting Lot, who is a righteous man, the Bible testifies. Even though he's off living in Sodom and Gomorrah, he is not living right, but he's still one of God. And it says that, that they vex righteous Lot's soul. So the New Testament calls him righteous. That's all I got to tell you. And if God calls somebody righteous, you better be careful not believing him. You want to follow it. It doesn't mean he was doing everything right. Because none of us can earn our salvation. It's given to us by what we believe. Okay? But he goes and he, he attacks them and fights them. And he brings everything back. And, he, and Abraham's already had this conversation with God that he's not going to take anything from man. But only what God gives him. So 1420, 1819, Melchizedek comes out, Prince of Salem. But in 20, this is where the word is used at. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. And the enemy is the word here, the first usage. Remember, I told you, if your strength is small, you become your own worst enemy. Same word. So who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Listen, that's the word right there. You become your own worst enemy if you do not. There's nobody else that can help you grow. It's your own free will. You become your own worst enemy. That's why your strength is small. That's why you're fainting in the day of adversity. Because in your free will, you're not choosing to follow the Spirit. You're not choosing to do the will of God when you know the will of God. So you become your own worst enemy. But your enemy's been given. Your flesh has been given into your hand. Been delivered completely into your hand if you'll walk in the spirit. If you'll listen to God. He's already defeated the flesh. It's, it's completely dealt with at the cross. That enemy cannot bother you. Pretty amazing stuff. But that's the word there. So you need to trust God to deliver you, not just from the enemies on the outside, but the enemy that's in your heart. All the sin that's in your heart. He will wash you and cleanse you and purify you and reclothe you. He'll change your desires, but your heart should be upon following Him, turning to Him. Not focused on what you're doing wrong, focused on what He's doing right. Focus on being in the house, understanding your identity, understanding how you're living. And run the race to win. And if you stumble, get back up again. And when you see that you're, where your faith is at, when you see where your strength is at, when you see that it's small, or how the enemy, because see, it's important to sometimes see how the enemy trips you up. Because he's not got anything new. He knows how to trip you up. It's always going to be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life. It's always going to be one of those three things. And when you begin to learn that and see that and ask the Holy Spirit to protect you in that and change your desires on that, you're cooperating in your sanctification. You're cooperating in your place in the house of God. And then you can know what you're supposed to do. And then you give your life to Christ completely and stop 
allowing your heart to rebel against him and become your own worst enemy. So you need to, to, to uh, come to God and turn to him in the adversity, in the failure, every step of the way, you're asking God for wisdom. And the closer you are in that intimacy, the more fruit you're going to bear through it. Because whatever he allows you to go through, he's not trying to kill you. He's trying to produce fruit. He's trying to produce right living before him. Because he says he's going to conform you into the image of Christ Jesus. And he says, I have called you and I will also do it. I'm not going to leave you nor forsake you. I will complete the work I started in you until the day of Christ Jesus. All these great precious promises are there. And then our flesh, and we become the enemy, and we make choices, and we start fainting because we can't even get into the word prayer and fellowship. Beat your body into subjection. We all go through dry times. Well, some of you guys are so young, you, don't even, you haven't even gotten there to dry times yet. Uh, you might have. I don't know. But you can go through dry times, and you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. You can feel like you know the Word of God is just like, man, it's like fighting through the whole jungle just to get to the Bible so I can sit down. But you can always rest. No matter what's going on, you can always just turn everything off and be still before God. And my house should be a house of prayer. And just get before him. Even if you don't know why it's spinning. Even if you don't know why it's gone crazy. Even if you don't know what's going on. If you keep reading the word of God and spending time with God. And growing in that intimacy with him. Knowing where your help comes from. Is the best thing in the world. Knowing that he loves you. And he came to save you not to kill you. So let's look back though. Because how did we get to verse 10? Well that's because we assigned it as a memory verse. But let's look at. You know, uh, if you faint during the day of adversity, let's look back at the text and what's really going on. Uh, and I believe it's building a spiritual house. And he tells you how to build that house. Um, and let's just, I'm going to try to move through it quickly because I've wasted all my time already. But there is some really great stuff in this when you look at first uses and stuff. And I'll try to be careful. Uh, so the first verse is verse 1, 24, 1. Uh, and listen, the chapters and verses, they're not always anointed, and the things keep running if you were in a scroll, and sometimes they need to run on through. Um, like this one really goes all the way into 25. What book in chapter five? We're Proverbs 24.1. Oh. This one actually runs all the way into 25.2 because the conclusion of the matter is 25.2, in my opinion, even though it keeps going because it never concludes because you're always listening for God's next instruction. But look at this. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. Listen, you should be searching the scriptures daily to find out if what I'm saying is true. Drawing near to God and allowing the Spirit of God to speak to you through the Word of God so that you will know the instruction of God and follow Him and become intimate with God and bear fruit for God so you can glorify Him as a witness. Because it should not be silent. When we have a creator who has come to save us, we should not be silent. Believe me, our tongue should be a ready pen on paper. Or the other way around. What's it say in Psalms 45? One. You can look and read it if you want to. Psalms 45, one. B. Look at this. Do not... Be envious of evil men. Listen, this is the pride of life. You look and you see what evil men have got, 
and you want to chase after it. Do not be envious of evil men. Means being jealous of them or move towards them, move to them. Evil means those that cause distress, wretched, wicked, and wrong. And you want to be among them because you think that what they have by the pride of life and the, and the lust of your eyes is good. But they're pursuing death. Stuff does not change your heart for God. It changes your heart against God you if you don't it. have a heart for God. You can get a whole sermon out of that one little verse. Amen. Well, Real easily. Yeah. For their heart devises violence. Listen, evil men, what's their hearts doing? Do a contrast. A righteous man's heart should be devising righteousness. Right? For their heart devises violence. Or as King James, it's they studyeth upon destruction. They're studying upon destruction. In fact, the, the word study it uh, is in Joshua 1.8. They're meditating. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, so you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then your way shall be prosperous, and then you shall be good, of good success. There, the evil man is studying and meditating upon evil, and we're supposed to be meditating on the Word of God, searching it out, because that's what He's called us to do. So that our house is being filled up with every great and precious rich riches, the riches of God. We'll see it in a minute. Let me keep going. So that's first usage and destruction uh, is in Job, but we're not going to go there. But it means violence, ravage, or desolation, or oppression, spoiling. Listen, spoiling is a great word in the Bible. Do a study on it in the King James. See, just the same way we will spoil a child in the flesh by giving them everything, you can be spoiled in your spirit to think you're supposed to still get everything. But God gives us what we need, not what we want. And sometimes that trial and that uh, temptation and that suffering, it, it, you go, what in the world? But listen, don't faint. Know that God is moving you with a goad to a place where you need to be walking and living or you're going to be ending up in a bad place in your spiritual walk. So he moves you through circumstances because God speaks heavily through circumstances. He speaks mightily through circumstances. So don't be envious of these that are meditating on wickedness. You begin to meditate on righteousness. Joshua excuse me, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law. Because they are, where are they at? And their lips talk of troublemaking. What's your lips talking about? Their lips talk of mischief, misery, pain, sorrow, wickedness. That's what their lips talk of. Now let's look at this. Look, up, look how a house is built. How is a spiritual house built? This is the verse that will get you back to verse 10. Listen. Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. This is where you're going to get strong at. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Listen, here's the contrast. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. Listen, you're not going to get any strength unless you turn to God's wisdom. 
There's earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom, and then there's Jesus Christ. He's God's wisdom. Listen, applying wisdom, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but it's wisdom when you use that knowledge rightly. I have a relationship with God. I'm the bride of Christ. He has saved me. He's changing me. He's bore fruit in my life, but now I need to have his wisdom to know when to use it rightly. Because you can speak up and be casting your pearls before swine. You can be arguing with a scoffer and you'll bear it yourself. There's all these things that go on when you don't know when to speak and when to be a witness. When you're called upon to speak. That's a really hard lesson to learn. Because even in your zeal, you want to share what you already know. But you need to have the bridegroom, the wisdom of God, Christ, tell you when to use it. His anointing, because you're being led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. I used to do it in the flesh all the time. Scare people to death. Scare them to death. Because I'm in the flesh. I got in trouble today. And I'm like, what did I do? I was, me and another guy was playing, and we were getting ready to do something, and the customer's buying a bottle of chemical, and I go, well, I'm sick of it. The customer jumps, and I'm clear across the room. I'm like, what? And they're looking at me like, you're scaring customers. And I'm like, we're over here playing. How am I scaring customers? And I had to apologize. Okay, I apologize. I should have been a little quieter with a customer in the building. Or not playing at work, <laughs> said the boss. We were on lunch break. Against the law to regulate my lunch break and my time when I'm not on the clock. <laughs> but if I'm on their property, I understand. I was wrong. And, I, and I'm just like, why was that guy even jumping? I mean, he literally jumped because I did that. And I was just playing with a guy about getting his truck. Anyway, we'll get going. Let's go. Where are we at? Uh, let's go back up. Because you're seeing the contrast. There's a envious, being envious of evil and desiring what they want with your heart. And it tells you their character. But then God tells you how to build your house through wisdom. Godly wisdom that comes from above. It's peaceable. It's gentle. We're not going to go to James. You could go to James and read about it. There's a contrast between them. We're not going to go to 1 Corinthians. You go to 1 Corinthians. Here's your homework. 1 Corinthians 1, 19-31. And it tells you that Christ has become the wisdom of God. God's wisdom come and took flesh. He's the heart of God. And he wants our heart to be like his heart. And the only way that's going to happen is through marriage as we obey the instructions and we walk where he walks and we learn his heart. We learn his character. We learn his nature. And you'll definitely hear his voice. And you won't follow some liar because it doesn't line up with the unchanging God. Listen to me. So we want God's wisdom because you need wisdom to build a house. Oh, is that what we're doing? Yeah. Yeah, we were already violent and troublemakers and evil. Now we're building a spiritual house. And it means a family. Listen, because we're going back to Abraham, or excuse me, Moses not dealing with his kids properly and his wife having to step in and deal with them. And you know what happened after that? His wife went back to her dad, to Ruru. 
and he went on with Aaron, and then later father-in-law brings her and the kids to him out in the wilderness. See, because when you're not leading as a man the way you're supposed to be leading as a man of God, then the woman steps up. And she begins to have to do the things that the man is supposed to be doing, and that gets your house in a cattywampus. And that's what was going on in the garden, and that's how we ended in this mess. And God comes, and he, you hear his voice, and he gives you clear directives, and you keep not doing them, and you're messing up your own house. We need the wisdom, and we need his power to obey his word, to go out and build a godly house, even in adversity, even in the storms, even when bad news comes, even, yes, with death. We need to keep walking. Our identity is in Christ, in his house. It's not in this physical. Our identity is not in these things down here. It's in what we're putting up there with our wedding garment, in our wedding feast, in our house that we're decorating. That's where my identity's at. When he appears, we appear with him, Colossians 3. So, first usage of house is Genesis 6, 14. Genesis 6, 14. What is that? Six fourteen. Anybody know what that is? Noah. It's the flood. It's judgment. And it's it. And listen. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Listen, this is God's provision for judgment. It's a type of Christ. The ark is a type of Christ. And the word for house is within. Gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside within. It's about the inside. It's about the heart that's covered with the pitch inside. There's another good one. This is six. This is man's doing. Make yourself. Choose this day whom you shall serve. So me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Seven is God's doing. He shuts him in the ark. Eight, new beginning. God remembers Noah. That's pretty cool. Not like he forgot. But he showed me earlier, and this is first usage of another one. In uh, uh, 717 is first usage. And it's so cool. Because the ark, it rose high above the earth. Jesus walking on water. Remember that insight you had, Michael? There's another one of it. The ark. Jesus is the ark. He's walking above the water. When the ark rises above the water, that's him walking on the water. I think the word pitch is atonement also. It's is inside it? and the outside is covered in. Is atonement? Mm-hmm. The inside is what's important, not the outside where I'm saying it. I'm a Christian. How are you building the house? With wisdom. Listen, 
Build the house with wisdom on the inside. Yeah, pitch is a cover. It's a cover. It's the Old Testament law where it was a cover. It's atonement. Is that what you said it meant, atonement? It's a cover. See, kofar is the word. It's a kofar. That's what the law was. It was a cover until Christ come to take away the sins of the world. And then and when he reveals all of this, he's uncovering it in the spirit. Yeah, it's real crazy amazing. I'm blown away by it. Uh, and it's figurative for redemption and the price of redemption or atonement, like he said. I've got notes there on it now that you're saying that. I'm looking at my notes. So then uh, it's built by what? Wisdom. The house is built by wisdom. Listen to this. The biblical usage is skill in war. And we're in war. And the only way you're going to win this war is to stand in the victory of Christ. But listen to his instruction. Because we can't see the spiritual realm. And we're in a spiritual war. Not a physical one. You know what everybody's doing? Listening to the physical instructions. I bet you that, that 99% of Christians, and I'm not being mean to God's real bride, 99% of Christians has got some physical fighting dude that is their main podcast that they listen to every day to find out what's going on in Washington, to find out what's going on in the world, to find out what's going on in politics. But who are they listening to every day to find out what God's saying to the church? Because you can always find counselors. You can always find people to say what you like. That's why we have all the church hopping. They all leave the church because they don't like what somebody's saying. And they go find somebody that's tickling their ears, that agrees with them, that says the same thing. But the most important thing is what the Spirit is saying to the church. But nobody wants to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. And he isn't saying anything new. He's still saying if you faint in adversity, your strength is small. And the only way that you can have strength is to believe God and come to the wisdom of God and trust in God and grow in the grace and the knowledge of God in your intimacy, in your marriage relationship, so that when things happen, you know you're protected because you're in Christ and you're very close. And you know that he is just changing your heart and you're not kicking against the goads. You're asking for wisdom in how to love the goads. Wisdom and how to have joy when trials come so that you can face the greater temptation, James says, when it comes. So you, when you have passed and been approved, can receive the crown of life. That's amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, I always rather fight with them. It's easier. Listen, it is really easy to yell at somebody. It's easy to throw up your hands. Whether they knock them down or not, it doesn't matter. It's easy to say, let's go to fisticuffs. That's an easy thing for anybody to choose to do. But when it's time and you think you should go to fisticuffs, it takes exceedingly more power and might not to throw your hands up. And it has to be controlled by the Spirit of God because of the love of God for the souls that are around us. Because their soul is more important than your pride. Their soul is more important than your whatever it is that they got. If you had a goat to get, then they got it. But their soul is more important. And that's why he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you. He takes your cloak, give him your outer coat too. Or your give him more. Oh my goodness, I'm going to pop over here. So how are you building your house? Is it with Christ? Oh, let me look at verse 27. 
24, 27. Prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field. And afterward, build your house. So you got to have a foundation first. Paul says, as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation. And no one can lay another one but Christ. It has to be Christ, the wisdom of God. Look at that. Let's go. You know what? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. That's your homework. Yeah, I'll give you some new homework in a minute. I'd like to go to a few other places. But I want you to see this hands down, hands on. Okay, let's go to 118. For the message, because you guys, you get, you get the message of the cross, you're getting the good news, is foolishness to those who are perishing. Come on, man, get out of here with that Jesus stuff. Well, you're going, because you're dying. And you don't know that you're blind. You don't know you're dying. You don't know you're putting nails in your own coffin. Remember, he woke us up from that. But to us who are being saved, notice being. It's, it's, you are saved, you're being saved, and you will be saved. It's not like one and done. I said a prayer at the altar. You're being saved. You're receiving with meekness the implanted word for the saving of soul. You're being washed and cleansed. You're changing your desires. You're dying to self. You're growing through adversity. You're becoming stronger with the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. I'm going to pop. Uh, it is the, the, those that are being saved, it is the power of God. Look at that. For it is written, notice we go back and we go, what did the Old Testament say about this? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, earthly, central, demonic wisdom, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And that's Isaiah 29, uh, 14. Is that right? I can't see my note. I think so. Where is the wise, rhetorically? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world, earthly, central, demonic? Look around you. Look what they're calling wisdom today. Look at the fluidity. Look at the, everything that they're redefining. Never before could this verse be more real. <clears throat> For since in the wisdom of God, listen to this, this is the whole plan. The world through wisdom did not know God. This is God's wisdom. We're blind. We don't know him. He wakes us up. This is God's wisdom. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached, heralded, Caruso, to save those who believe. Trust in God with your spiritual well-being, for your spiritual well-being, and continue in that. For Jews request a sign, show me, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we, you and me, the church, Paul and his companions preach Christ crucified, death. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, pick up the phone. Are you hearing his voice? Phone, pick up the phone. Those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, whole world, because there's nothing but Jews and Greeks. The Greeks are the Gentiles. Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
But see, it pleased God that we wouldn't know, and it pleased God that then he would wake us up, and then he would give us a free will choice so that we would freely become those who reciprocate love because of who he is. And that's his, that's his wisdom, because he could have taken his wisdom and said, uh, I'm going to make me a servant over here. I'm going to get me a bride over here. He could have made all of this stuff, but he wants us to freely choose to be made into his image through knowledge, through gnoskos, through, through, through intimacy, through relations where we bear fruit of Christ's likeness until the day that we see him, and he'll complete the work he started in us. For you see your calling, phone drinking, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, Greek, earthly, not many mighty power, uh, not many noble are called, but God has chosen me, the foolish things of the world, to put to shame the wise, those that are perishing, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, back of the line, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, where in Christ Jesus, who became for us, what? Wisdom from God. That's how you build a house. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. God gets all the credit. You cannot grow strong. You're going to faint always if you do not come to the wisdom, to the foundation. You prepare the outside work. Then you prepare the work in the field. And you let him work on the inside with his spirit as you die to self. And that's how the house is built. It has to be through wisdom the house is built. And by understanding Oh, Exodus 28.3. Did we go there yet? You guys are trying to go home. I got another 100 pages. Exodus 28.3 is first usage of wisdom. Remember it? Remember it? Because this is the way the church is built. Exodus 28.3. How is it? What you doing? He tells Moses and Aaron and them to speak to all the gifted artisans whom I filled with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments and to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. See, and if you read this whole text, you understand what's going on. They're, they're, they're preparing the priesthood. And there has to be the spirit of wisdom that is given to us through Christ who sends the spirit back and gives us wisdom. And then he gives us gifts and talents and abilities so that we can prepare each other and take each other's grave clothes off and become the body of Christ and put all of our talents and gifts together to become a picture of Christ's love to the dead and dying world. Because we're working together and not against each other because we're looking and jockeying for position with earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. Because we can easily bite and devour one another, but that's not godly wisdom. That's earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom. And by understanding, it is established, back in our text, verse 3b, it is built. Oh my goodness. I left out through wisdom, a house is built. That's Genesis 2.22, when he made 
a woman out of the side of Adam. He created the woman out of Adam's side. So think about this. Our house is being built by the wisdom of God because we come out of the side of God who hung on the cross and was pierced by a spear for us. And when the blood and water mingled, he made a bride from the side. Genesis 2.22 is when he... Isn't it crazy? And it all reflects back to the spiritual house that we're supposed to be living in now. 2.22 Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made, right there's that first word, built into a woman. And he brought her to the man. That's what he's doing. He's going to rapture us and bring us to the man. If we'll listen to the wisdom of God. And by understanding, it is established. I know you want to go. Understanding means uh, by reason, by skillfulness, by intelligence. Uh, Exodus 31.3 is the first usage. And my note says... Do four and five also. So Exodus 31, 3. You guys got to start uh, having your fingers here already, and I'll have you read them. It's a lot to mark, so I don't even mark them. But this is good sword drills. Do you remember this? They're making the temple. Uh, they're building the, the, the articles for the temple. And again... Um, he called, verse 1, he called by name Basiliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, it's a type of Christ, and I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and in silver. Notice deities first. Gold is deity. Silver is redemption. Bronze is judgment. And cutting jewels, rewards for setting and carving wood, flesh, and to work in all manner of workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We need the wisdom of God to walk in those good works that he prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. So understanding established. <clears throat> By understanding, it is established. Um, I don't know if you know that means to stand. When you're established, it means to stand. It means to be erect. It means to be firm. It means to be faithful. It means to be fashioned. Genesis 41, 32, first usage. Let's look. Genesis 41, 32. <clears throat> My brain is not remembering it. I need to remember it to prepare you. 41.32. Oh, it's the double dream. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. Listen, listen. Who's going to bring it to pass? By wisdom a house is built. By understanding, God will bring it to pass. You're born in the flesh, now you're born in the spirit. God will do the work. He's telling you all about it. You can trust him. You don't have to fight. You can 
receive with meekness the implanted word for the saving of the soul. It's established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled. Isn't that cool? By knowing God in intimacy. Once again, that's, that's intimacy. Uh, it means uh, yada yada. That's what it means. When you tell somebody, uh, you know, and, and yada yada, that's what the word knowing means in the Hebrew. Yada, that's where that comes from. So growing in the knowledge and you fill the rooms of your heart up. Filled means to satisfy, to furnish, to accomplish. Ooh. Genesis 1.22 is filled. I love the first usages. It teaches the Bible study for you. I don't have to make it up. That was a joke. I don't have to search it out, though. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. Listen, be filled with the wisdom of God and be fruitful. When God is doing the work, he's going to bear fruit. <clears throat> when the intimacy and the knowledge and understanding of God and wisdom is going on, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, listen, that's going to bear fruit in your life. And you're going to multiply. You're going to want to go out and tell others. You're going to want to bear witness. You're going to want others. I mean, your, your desires is going to become about souls and not about people recognizing you, but about saving souls. I'm almost done. What are you filling your rooms with, guys? See that? With all, get a calculator, precious and pleasant riches. Precious means clear and excellent. Oh, no, no, no. It means rare. It's rare to see. And this is this is uh, where 1 Samuel 3.1 comes in. That's first usage. It's Precious is valuable and rare. 1 Samuel 3.1. put in them yes we're going to get it be housed in them uh what did i say three one this is where uh because the house was being built wrong what did god do he had hannah come who was without child remember remember uh sarah couldn't have a child remember you get the new testament with john the baptist elizabeth and zachariah can have a child here you have hannah who cannot have children and she comes, and Eli thinks she's drunk because he's drunk. Really, I mean, that's what was going on. He, he wasn't hearing from God, so he's watching this woman praying, and her lips moving and stammering, and he, he accuses her of being drunk. And he was the one that was drunk, not taking care of his kids. And so God raises up Samuel, and it's uh, 3-1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. This is the riches that we're talking about. Yes, we're going to, we, they go into us first and then we go into the houses, right? Is that what you're saying? First they got to be in us or we don't get no mansion to put them in. They got to be in us first. It's rare, it's precious, and first it's created in us, and then those dwelling places we go into in heaven as the bride of Christ. And they're in us, so they're going to be in the house when we get there. But and and it, listen, 
This is not like, oh my goodness, I need to be rare and precious and promises and do perfect right now. When we see him, we'll be exactly like him. But we're supposed to be moving in that direction. We've come to our senses. We've turned our hearts to God. And we want to be sanctified and cleansed. We don't want to keep chasing everything else and putting nails in our own coffin. Wish you would just hurry up, feller. Build it. Accomplish. Now, verse 5 again, he's going to tell you again, a wise man is strong. Strength is small when you faint, but a wise man that's been filling his house with this, he's been doing these things, he's been listening to God, um, he's going to be strong. That wise man is going to be strong. He's going to be skillful. He's going to be capable. He's going to be wise-hearted. He's able to judge what is true and what is false. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. He keeps getting stronger. If you keep pursuing that relationship and intimacy with God, it'll only make you stronger so that in the day of adversity you don't have to faint. But if you do faint, you already know. Why am I fainting? Because I'm not spending time intimately with God in the word prayer and fellowship and growing my relationship and learning the testimony that God is faithful. For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. <clears throat> and in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There is rescue. This is literally the word for salvation and victory and wise counsel. But why? Because only wise counsel can come from the Lord. You can't get wise counsel from the world. And if you grow in your intimacy, if you grow in your knowledge, if you're learning what his voice sounds like, you won't listen to the counsel of the world. You'll find people that know the word of God and that can speak into what's going on. And then at the end of the day, listen to me. You're not listening for men. You take what people counsel you and then you wage your war by what Christ says to you, by what your relationship says to you. Because people will tell you what, there's some people you talk to them and they're counseling you, and you know what they tell you? Exactly what you want to hear. Because they don't like adversity. They don't like to, dis, to, to, to uh, upset people. And they learn your personality, and they'll tell you what you want to hear. Because they don't want to argue with you. They, but, but listen, we need to be people that will tell them what the Word of God says, not what they want to hear. Tell them the truth of the word of God because what you do is you spoil them if you tell them what they want to hear. If you tickle their ears with a form of godliness that denies the power thereof, they'll be spoiled children that don't even know God. They won't recognize God. When he comes and stands in front of them, they'll say crucify him. Wisdom, listen, because this is going to tell you who you are. Wisdom is too high, too lofty for a fool. Listen to me. Do you want Christ or do you want to be a fool? He does not open his mouth at the gate. I, we could continue this all day long, guys and gals. Remember what the gate is? And if you went back and looked it up, you'll find that first usage is lot setting at the gate of Sodom and Gomorrah. But was he opening his mouth? Yes. The testimony is, is he, 
Since he came in here, he's been trying to tell us what to do. We'll kill you too. Get him. See, he'd been trying to tell them, but they wouldn't listen. Proverbs 1, 7. We're almost done, guys and gals. If you're getting tired, your seat is not handling this very well. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. When you fear him, you obey him and you know him, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, it's very important because wisdom is what we need for our house. The wisdom of God, the word of God, the Christ is the foundation, Christ is the finish. And we should open our mouth in the gate, the city gate. He is the gate. He is the door. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. He who deviseth to do evil. Remember, we talked about that already. Don't be envious of the evil man. He's devising to do evil. He will be called a schemer. Or a mischievous person is what the King James says. Wicked and lewdness. It's the Hebrew word Baal. He will be called one who is married to Baal. That's who his, his master and lord and husbandman is. The devising of foolishness is sin. So listen, if you're not devising to do good, if your devising is not do the will of God with the wisdom of God for the glory of God, then it's automatically sin. What is not done by faith is sin. What is not done by faith is sin. Romans 13, last verse. What is not done by faith is sin. I don't know what number it is. It might be like 1332. And a scoffer is an abomination to men. trouble, tribulation, your strength is small. What's God saying about your heart? Listen, because we need to open our mouth at the gate. Listen, it already is evidenced. We need to be opening our mouth. Look at verse 11. Deliver those who are drawn toward death. Hold back those stumbling for the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does he who weighs the hearts does not consider this? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And he... And will he not render to each man according to his works, his deeds? Listen, God already knows. He keeps going. My son, eat honey because it is good. And honeycomb, which is sweet to your taste, physical, so shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, there is a prospect and your hope will not be cut off. And we could keep going, but we're not going to keep going. I'm going to stop. You can read the rest of this chapter as your homework all the way down into 25.2. And listen, God wants to uncover it. God wants to re 
village, but you have to draw near to God and he draws near to you. You have to desire his wisdom. You have to desire to know him intimately in a relationship. And then he will build the fruit in your life. He will do the work. And as you do the work, yes, there's going to be pain and suffering and mocking. There's going to be all kinds of things that happen, but they're there to test your heart. God is still moving. Even when people ain't listening, even people ain't reacting the way your flesh wants them to react. God is still moving. God is still doing. Wait for his perfect timing. You be who you are because of the word of God and the wisdom of God, the ways of God, because of the will of God, because of what the word of God has taught you. You do what you do because it has no shadow or shifting. It's always going to be a straight path. Don't let man's schemes and the envious, be envious of their wickedness cause you to divert your path. Stay on the path. Let the word of God tell you your heart. It tells you the thoughts and intents. It's going to always tell you where you're at with God. It's a litmus test. Next week's scripture, another good one, because we can get weary. We can lose heart. More homework. Psalms 27. Read all of Psalms 27. Next week's scripture is, um, I lost my bookmark, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, be steadfast. Didn't you want that? Mm -hmm. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There is some vain labor that you can do, but none in the Lord is vain. None in the Lord is empty. It will all produce fruit. So therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Write it down. Meditate on it. Memorize it. That way you're not devising to do evil. You're devising to remember God's word and understand it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you show us our strength is small. And as a good father, we know where to come for help. Pour out your spirit upon us. Give us wisdom, understanding, and knowledge beyond our years. Give us a desire to surrender. Thank you for bringing us to our senses. And Lord, we want to come home. We want to be in your house forever and ever. So give us a desire to follow you and to open our mouth at the gate. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You remember, Lord, bless Pastor you. Greg.